0: Chapter 22 of The Eagle Shadow by James Branch Cabell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, originally recorded by John M. Wilson for Bureau 42, donated to LibriVox with his express permission. 22. Well, Mr. Woods observed, lengthening the word somewhat, in the intimate half-light of the summer-house, he loomed prodigiously big. He was gazing downward in careful consideration of three fat tortoiseshell pins and a surprising quantity of gold hair which was practically all that he could see of miss hugonin's person for that lovely lady had suddenly become a limp mass of abashed violet ruffles and had discovered new and irresistible attractions in the mosaics about her feet billy's arms were crossed on his breast and his right hand caressed his chin meditatively by and by i wonder now he reflected aloud if you can give me any reason any possible reason why you shouldn't be locked up in the nearest sanatorium you needn't be rude you know a voice observed from the neighborhood of the ruffles because there isn't anything you can do about it mr woods ventured a series of inarticulate observations but why he concluded desperately but why peggy in heaven's name what's the meaning of all this she looked up billy was aware of two large blue stars his heart leapt and then he recalled a pair of gray-green eyes that had regarded him in much the same fashion not long ago and he groaned i was unfair to you last night she said and the ring of her odd deep voice and the richness and sweetness of it moved him to faint longing to a sick heart-hunger. It was tremulous, too, and very tender. Yes, I was unutterably unfair, Billy. You asked me to marry you when you thought I was a beggar, and and Uncle Fred ought to have left you the money. It was on account of me that he didn't, you know. I really owed it to you, and after the way I talked to you, so long as I had the money, I and anyhow it's very disagreeable and eccentric and horrid of you to object to being rich margaret concluded somewhat incoherently she had not thought it would be like this he seemed so stern but isn't that exactly like her mr woods was demanding of his soul she thinks she has been unfair to me-to me whom she doesn't care a button for mind you-so she hands over a fortune to make up for it simply because that's the first means that comes to hand "'Now isn't that perfectly unreasonable and fantastic and magnificent and incredible? "'In short, isn't that Peggy all over? "'Why, God bless her, her heart's bigger than a barn door!' "'Oh, it's no wonder what that fellow Mr. Kennaston, was grinning just now when he sent me to her. "'He can afford to grin. "'Aloud,' he stated. "'You're an angel, Peggy. "'That's what you are. "'I've always suspected it, and I'm glad to know it now for a fact.' But in this prosaic world not even angels are allowed to burn up wills for recreation. Why bless my soul child you why there's no telling what trouble you might have gotten into. Miss Hugonin pouted. You needn't be such a grandfather, she suggested helpfully. But it's a serious business, he insisted. At this point Billy began to object to her pouting as distracting one's mind from the subject under discussion. It why it's it's what she pouted even more rebelliously crimson said mr woods considering oh the very deepest darkest crimson such as you can't get in tubes it's a colour was never mixed on any palette it's uh, oh i beg your pardon i think you ought to said margaret primly nevertheless she had brightened considerably of course mr woods continued with a fine colour i can't take the money That's absurd is it she queried idly now I wonder how you're going to help yourself simplest in the world he assured her you see this match don't you peggy well now you're going to give me that paper I see in that bag thing at your waist and I'm going to burn it till it's all nice soft feathery ashes that can't ever be probated and then the first will which is practically the same as the last will be allowed to stand and i'll tell your father all about the affair because he ought to know and you'll have to settle with those colleges and in that way mr Woods submitted uncle fred's last wishes will be carried out just as he expressed them and there needn't be any trouble none at all so give me the will peggy it is curious what a trivial matter love makes of felony margaret's heart sank however yes said she encouragingly "'And what do you intend doing afterward?' "'I I shall probably live abroad,' said Billy. "'Cheaper, you know.' "'And here,' he thought, "'was an excellent and undreamed-of opportunity "'to inform her of his engagement. "'He had much better tell her now and have done.' "'Mr. Woods opened his mouth and looked at Margaret "'and closed it. "'Again she was pouting in a fashion "'that distracted one's mind. "'That would be most unattractive,' "'said Miss Hugonin calmly.' You're very stupid, Billy, to think of living abroad. Billy, I think you're almost as stupid as I am. I've been very stupid, Billy. I thought I liked Mr. Canaston. I don't, Billy, not that way. I've just told him so. I'm not... I'm not engaged to anybody now, Billy. But wasn't it stupid of me to make such a mistake, Billy? That was a very interesting mosaic there in the summer house. I don't understand, said Mr. Woods. His voice shook and his hands lifted a little toward her, and trembled. Poor Billy dared not understand. Her eyes downcast, her foot tapping the floor gently, Margaret was all one blush. She, too, was trembling a little, and she was a little afraid, and quite unutterably happy, and outwardly she was very much the tiny lady of Oberon's court, very much the coquette quintessentialized. It is pitiable that our proud Margaret should come to such a pass. Ah, the men that you have flouted and scorned and bedeviled and mocked at, Margaret! Could they see you now? I think the basest of them could not but pity and worship you. This man is bound in honor to another woman, yet a little, and his lips will open, very dry parched lips they are now, and he will tell you, and your pride will drive you mad, and your heart come near to breaking. Don't you understand, oh, you silly billy? she was peeping at him meltingly from under her lashes i-i'm imagining vain things said mr woods i-oh peggy peggy i think i must be going mad he stared hungrily at the pink startled face that lifted toward his ah no no it could not be possible this thing he had imagined for a moment he had misunderstood and now just for a little thought poor billy let my eyes drink in those dear felicities of colour and curve and meet just for a little the splendor of those eyes that have the April in them, and rest just for a little upon that sanguine, close-grained, pedulant mouth. And then I will tell her, and then I think that I must die. Peggy, he began in a flattish voice, They have evidently gone, said the voice of Mr. Kennaston. Yes, those beautiful, happy young people have foolishly deserted the very prettiest spot in the gardens. Let us sit here, Kathleen. But I'm not an eavesdropper, Mr. Woods protested half angrily. I fear Margaret was not properly impressed. Please, Billy, she pleaded in a shrill whisper. Please, let's listen. He's going to propose to her now, and you've no idea how funny he is when he proposes. Oh, don't be so poky, Billy. Do let's listen. But Mr. Woods had risen with a strange celerity and was about to leave the summer house. Margaret pouted. Mrs. Saumarez and Mr. Kennaston were seated, not twenty feet from the summer-house, on the bench which Miss Hugonin had just left, and when that unprincipled young woman finally rose to her feet, it must be confessed that it was with a toss of the head, and with the reflection that while to listen wasn't honourable, it would at least be very amusing. I grieve to admit it, but with Billy's scruples she hadn't the slightest sympathy. Then Kennaston cried suddenly, "'Why, you're mad, Kathleen!' woods wants to marry you why he's heels overhead in love with miss hugonin miss hugonin turned to mr woods with a little intake of the breath no i shall not attempt to tell you what billy saw in her countenance timanthes like i drape before it the vines of the summer-house for a brief space i think we had best betake ourselves outside leaving margaret in a very pitiable state of anger and shame and humiliation and heartbreak leaving poor billy with a heart that ached seeing the horror of him in her face twenty three mrs saumarez laughed bitterly no she said billy cared for me you know a long time ago and this morning he told me he still cared billy doesn't pretend to be a clever man you see and so he can afford to practise some of the brute virtues such as constancy and fidelity there was a challenging flame in her eyes but Kennaston let the stab pass unnoticed. To do him justice, he was thinking less of himself just now than of how this news would affect Margaret. And his face was very grave and strangely tender, for in his own fashion he loved Margaret. "'It's nasty, very nasty,' he said at length in a voice that was puzzled. "'Yet I could have sworn yesterday,' Kennaston paused and laughed lightly. "'She was an heiress yesterday, and today she is nobody.' and mr woods being wealthy can afford to gratify the virtues you commend so highly and with a fidelity that is most edifying return again to his old love and she welcomes him and the woods millions with open arms it is quite affecting is it not kathleen you needn't be so disagreeable she observed my dear kathleen i assure you i am not angry i am merely a little sorry for human nature i could have sworn woods was honest "'But rogues all—rogues all, Kathleen. Money rules us in the end. And now the parable is fulfilled, and love the prodigal returns to make merry over the calf of gold. Confess,' Mr. Canaston? queried with a smile. "'Is it not strange an all-wise creator should have been at pains to fashion this brave world about us, for little men and women such as we to lie and pilfer in?' was it worth a while think you to arch the firmament above our rogueries and light the ageless stars as candles to display our antics let us be frank kathleen and confess that life is but a trivial farce ignobly played in a very stately temple and mr kennaston laughed again let us be frank kathleen cried with a little catch in her voice why it isn't in you to be frank felix Kinnaston. "'Your life is nothing but a succession of poses, shallow, foolish poses, meant to hoodwink the world and at times yourself, for you do hoodwink yourself, don't you, Felix?' she asked eagerly, and gave him no time to answer. She feared, you see, lest his answer might dilapidate the one fortress she had been able to build about his honour. "'And now,' she went on quickly, "'you're trying to make me think you a devil of a fellow, aren't you?' and you're hinting that i've accepted billy because of his money aren't you well it is true that i wouldn't marry him if he were poor but he's very far from being poor and he cares for me and i am fond of him and so i shall marry him and make him as good a wife as i can so there mrs saumarez faced him with an uneasy defiance he was smiling oddly i have heard it rumoured in many foolish tables and jingling verses said kennaston after a little that a thing called love exists in the world and i have also heard kathleen that it sometimes enters into the question of marriage it appears that i was misinformed no she answered slowly there is a thing called love i think women are none the better for knowing it to a woman it means to take some man some utterly commonplace man perhaps perhaps only an idle poseur such as you are felix and to set him up on a pedestal and to bow down and worship him and to protest loudly both to the world and to herself that in spite of all appearances her idol really hasn't feet of clay or that at any rate it is the very nicest clay in the world for a time she deceives herself felix then the idol topples from the pedestal and is broken and she sees that it is all clay felix clay through and through and her heart breaks with it Kennaston bowed his head it is true said he that is the love of women to a man she went on dully it means to take some woman the very nearest woman who isn't actually deformed and to make pretty speeches to her and to make her love him and after a while kathleen shrugged her shoulders drearily why after a while said she he grows tired and looks for some other woman it is true said kennaston yes very true that some men love in that fashion there ensued a silence it was a long silence and under the tension of it kathleen's composure snapped like a cord that has been stretched to the breaking point yes 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 she cried suddenly that is how i have loved you and that is how you've loved me felix kennaston ah billy told me what happened last night and that-that was why i mrs saumarez paused and regarded him curiously. "'You don't make a very noble figure just now, do you?' she asked with careful deliberation. "'You were ready to sell yourself, for Miss Hugonin's money, weren't you? And now you must take her without the money. Poor Felix, ah, you poor, petty liar! You've overreached yourself so utterly!' And again Kathleen began to laugh, but somewhat shrilly, somewhat hysterically. "'You are wrong,' he said with a flush. It is true that I asked Miss Hugonin to marry me, but she, very wisely, I dare say, declined. Ah, Kathleen said slowly. Then, and it will not do to inquire too closely into her logic, she spoke with considerable sharpness. She's a conceited little cat. I never in all my life knew a girl to be quite so conceited as she is. Positively, I don't believe she thinks there's a man breathing— who's good enough for her kennaston grinned oh kathleen kathleen he cried you are simply delicious and mrs saumarez coloured prettily and tried to look severe and could not for the simple reason that while she knew kennaston to be flippant and weak and unstable as water and generally worthless yet for some occult cause she loved him as tenderly as though he had been a paragon of all the manly virtues and i dare say that for many of us it is by a very kindly provision of nature that all women are created capable of doing this illogical thing and that most of them do it daily it is true the poet said at length that i have played no heroic part and i don't question kathleen that i am all you think me yet such as i am i love you and such as i am you love me and it is i that you are going to marry and not that woods person. He's worth ten of you, she cried scornfully. Twenty of me, perhaps, Mr. Kennaston assented. But that isn't the question. You don't love him, Kathleen. You are about to marry him for his money. You are about to do what I thought to do yesterday. But you won't, Kathleen. You know that I need you, my dear, and unreasonably enough, God knows. You love me, Mrs. Saumarez regarded him intently, for a considerable space and during that space the eagle warred in her heart with the one foe he could never conquer love had a worthless ally but love fought staunchly by and by yes she said and her voice was almost sullen i love you i ought to love billy but i don't i shall ask him to release me from my engagement and yes i will marry you if you like he raised her hand to his lips you are an angel, Mr. Kennaston was pleased to say. No, Mrs. Somarez dissented, rather forlornly. I'm simply a fool. Otherwise I wouldn't be about to marry you, knowing you as I do for what you are, knowing that I haven't one chance in a hundred of any happiness. My dear, he said, and his voice was earnest. You know at least that what there is of good in me is at its best with you. Yes, yes, Kathleen cried quickly. That is so, isn't it, Felix? And you do care for me, don't you? Felix, are you sure you care for me? Quite sure. And are you quite certain, Felix, that you never cared so much for anyone else? Mr. Kennaston was quite certain. He proceeded to explain his feelings toward her at some length. Kathleen listened with downcast eyes and almost cheated herself into the belief that the man she loved was all that he should be. But at the bottom of her heart. She knew he wasn't. I think we may fairly pity her. Canaston and Mrs. Salmeres chatted very amicably for some ten minutes. At the end of that period, the 1245 Express, bellowing faintly in the distance, recalled the fact that the morning mail was in, and thereupon, in the very best of humors, they set out for the house. I grieve to admit it, but Kathleen had utterly forgotten Billy by this, and was no more thinking of him than she was of the man in the iron mask. She was with Canaston, you see and her thoughts and glances and lips and adoration were all given to his pleasuring, just as her life would have been if its loss could have saved him from a toothache. He strutted a little and was a little grateful to her, and, to do him justice, received the tribute she accorded him with perfect satisfaction and equanimity. 24. Margaret came out of the summer house. Billy Woods followed her in a very moist state of perturbation. Peggy said mr woods but miss hugonin was laughing clear as a bird call she poured forth her rippling mimicry of mirth they train women well in these matters to margaret just now her heart seemed dead within her her lover was proved unworthy her pride was shattered she had loved this clumsy liar yonder had given up a fortune for him dared all for him had as the phrase runs flung herself at his head the shame of it was a physical sickness a nausea but now in this jumble of miseries in this breaking up of the earth and the void heavens that surged about her and would not be mastered the girl laughed and her laughter was care-free and half languid like that of a child who is thinking of something else ah yes they train women well in these matters At length, Margaret said, in high, crisp accents, "'Pardon me, but I can't help being amused, Mr. Woods, "'by the way in which hard luck dogs your footsteps. "'I think fate must have some grudge against you, Mr. Woods.' "'Peggy,' said Mr. Woods. "'Pardon me,' she interrupted him, her masculine little chin high in the air, "'but I wish you wouldn't call me that.' It was well enough when we were boy and girl together, Mr. Woods. But you've developed since. Ah, yes, you've developed into such a splendid actor, such a consummate liar, such a clever scoundrel, Mr. Woods, that I scarcely recognize you now. And there was not a spark of anger in the very darkest corner of Billy's big, brave heart, but only pity. Pity all through and through that sent little icy ticklings up and down his spine and turned his breathing to great sobs for she had turned full face to him and he could see the look in her eyes i think he has never forgotten it years after the memory of it would come upon him suddenly and set hot drenching waves of shame and remorse surging about his body remorse unutterable that he ever hurt his peggy so deeply for they were tragic eyes Beneath them her twitching mouth smiled bravely, but the mirth of her eyes was monstrous. It was the mirth of a beaten woman, of a woman who has known the last extreme of shame and misery and has learned to laugh at it. Even now, Billy Woods cannot quite forget. Peggy, said he brokenly. Ah, dear, dear Peggy, listen to me. Why, have you thought of a plausible lie so soon? she queried sweetly. Dear me, Mr. Woods. What is the use of explaining things? It is very simple. You wanted to marry me last night because I was rich, and when I declined the honor you went back to your old love. Oh, it's very simple, Mr. Woods. It is a pity, though, isn't it, that all your promptness went for nothing. Why, dear me, you actually managed to propose before breakfast, didn't you? I should have thought that such eagerness would have made an impression on Kathleen. Oh, a most favorable impression. Too bad it hasn't. Listen, said Billy. Oh, you're forcing me to talk like a cad, Peggy, but I can't see you suffer. I can't. Kathleen misunderstood what I said to her. I i didn't mean to propose to her, Peggy. It was a mistake, I tell you. It's you I love. Just you. And when I asked you to marry me last night, why, I thought the money was mine, Peggy. I'd never have asked you if I hadn't thought that. I, oh, you don't believe me. You don't believe me, Peggy. And before God, I'm telling you the simple truth, why, i hadn't ever seen that last will peggy it was locked up in that center place in the desk you remember why-why you yourself had the keys to it peggy surely you remember dear and billy's voice shook and skipped whole octaves as he pleaded with her for he knew she did not believe him and he could not endure the horror of her eyes but margaret shook her head and as aforetime the twitching lips continued to laugh beneath those tragic eyes Ah, poor little lady of Elfland, poor little Undine, with a soul wakened to suffering. Clumsy, very clumsy, she rebuked him. I see that you are accustomed to prepare your lies in advance, Mr. Woods. As an extemporaneous liar, you are very clumsy. Men don't propose by mistake except in farces. And while we are speaking of farces, don't you think it time to drop that one of your not knowing about that last will? The farce? "'Billy stammered. "'You—why, you saw me when I found it. "'Ah, yes, I saw you when you pretended to find it. "'I saw you when you pretended to unlock that center place. "'But now, of course, I know it was never locked. "'I'm very careless about locking things, Mr. Woods.' "'Ah, yes, that gave you a beautiful opportunity, didn't it? "'So when you were rummaging through my desk— "'without my permission, by the way, but that's a detail— "'you found both wills and concocted your little comedy?' That was very clever. Oh, you think you're awfully smooth, don't you, Billy Woods? But if you had been a bit more daring, don't you see you could have suppressed the last one and taken the money without being encumbered by me? That was rather clumsy of you, wasn't it? Suave, gentle, sweet as honey, was the speech of Margaret as she lifted her face to his, but her eyes were tragedies. Ah, said Billy. Ah, yes, you think that. He was very careful in articulating his words, was Billy, and afterward he nodded his head gravely. The universe had somehow suffered an airy dissolution, like that of Prospero's Mosque. Selwood and its gardens, the great globe itself, the cloud-capped towers, the gorgeous palaces, the solemn temples, were all as vanished wraiths. There was only Peggy left. Peggy with that unimaginable misery in her eyes that he must drive away somehow. If that was what she thought... There was no way for him to prove it wasn't so. "'Why, dear me, Mr. Woods,' she retorted carelessly. "'What else could I think?' Here Mr. Woods blundered. "'Ah, think what you will, Peggy,' he cried, his big voice cracking and sobbing and resonant with pain. "'Ah, my dear, think what you will. But don't grieve for it, Peggy. Why, if I'm all you say I am, that's no reason you should suffer for it. Ah, don't, Peggy, in God's name don't. I can't bear it, dear.' He pleaded with her, helplessly. Billy was suffering, too, but her sorrow was the chief of his, and what stung him now to impotent anger was that she must suffer and he be unable to help her, for, ah, how willingly, how gladly he would have borne all poor Peggy's woes upon his own broad shoulders. But, nonetheless, he had lost an invaluable opportunity to hold his tongue. "'Suffer! I suffer!' she mocked him languidly and then like a banjo string the tension snapped and she gave a long angry gasp and her wrath flamed upon my word you're the most conceited man i ever knew in my life you think i'm in love with you with you billy woods i wouldn't wipe my feet on you if you were the last man left on earth i hate you i loathe you i detest you i despise you do you hear me i hate you what do i care if you are a snob and a cad and a fortune-hunter and a forger and-well i don't care perhaps you haven't ever forged anything yet but i'm quite sure you would if you ever got an opportunity you'd be delighted to do it yes you would you're just the sort of man who revels in crime i love you why that's the best joke i've heard for a long time I'm only sorry for you, Billy Woods. Sorry because Kathleen has thrown you over. Sorry, do you understand? Yes, since you're so fond of skinny women, I think it's a great pity she wouldn't have you. Don't talk to me. She is skinny, I guess I know. She's as skinny as a beanpole. She's skinnier than I ever imagined it possible for anybody, anybody to be. And she pads and rouges that I think is disgusting. And not half, not one half of her hair belongs to her and that half is dyed but of course if you like that sort of thing there's no accounting for tastes and i'm sure i'm very sorry for you even though personally i don't care for skinny women i hate em and i hate you too billy woods she stamped her foot did margaret you must bear with her for her heart is breaking now and if she has become a termagant it is because her shamed pride has driven her mad bear with her then a little longer Billy tried to bear with her, for in part he understood. Peggy, said he very gently, you're wrong. Yes, I dare say, she snapped at him. We won't discuss Kathleen, if you please. But you're wrong about the will. I've told you the whole truth about that, but I don't blame you for not believing me, Peggy. Ah, no, not I. There seems to be a curse upon Uncle Fred's money. It brings out the worst of all of us. It has changed even you, Peggy. And not for the better, Peggy. You've become distrustful. uh, You—well, we won't discuss that now. Give me the will, my dear, and I'll burn it before your eyes. That ought to show you, Peggy, that you're wrong. Billy was very white-lipped as he ended, for the Woods' temper is a short one. But she had an arrow left for him. Give it to you. And do you think I'd trust you with it, Billy Woods? Peggy? Uh, Peggy, I hadn't deserved that. Be just, at least, to me, poor Billy begged of her which was an absurd thing to ask of an angry woman. Yes, I do know what you'd do with it. You'd take it right off and have it probated or executed or whatever it is they do to wills and turn me straight out in the gutter. That's just what you're longing to do this very moment. Oh, I know, Billy Woods. I know what a temper you've got. And I know you're keeping quiet now simply because you know that's the most exasperating thing you can possibly do. I wouldn't have such a disposition as you've got for the world. You've absolutely no control over your temper. Not a bit of it. You're vile, Billy Woods. Oh, I hate you. Yes, you've made me cry. And I suppose you're very proud of yourself. Aren't you proud? Don't stand staring at me like a stuck pig. Answer me when I talk to you. Aren't you proud of making me cry? Aren't you? Uh, Don't talk to me. Don't talk to me, I tell you. I don't wish to hear a word you've got to say. I hate you. And you shan't have the money that's flat. I don't want it, said Billy i've been trying to tell you for the last half hour i don't want it in god's name why can't you talk like a sensible woman peggy i'm afraid that mr woods too is beginning to lose his temper that's right swear at me it only needed that you do want the money and when you say you don't you're lying 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 do you understand you all want my money oh dear dear margaret wailed and her great voice was shaken to its depths and its sobbing was the long hopeless sobbing of a violin as she flung back her tear-stained face and clenched her little hands tight at her sides. "'Why can't you let me alone? You're all after my money. You and Mr. Canaston and Mr. Jukesbury and all of you. Why can't you let me alone? Ever since I've had it, you've hunted me as if I'd been a wild beast. God help me, I haven't had a moment's peace, a moment's rest, a moment's quiet since Uncle Fred died.' they all want my money everybody wants my money oh billy billy why can't they let me alone peggy said he but she interrupted him don't talk to me billy woods don't you dare talk to me i told you i didn't wish to hear a word you had to say didn't i yes you all want my money and you shan't have it it's mine uncle fred left it to me it's mine i tell you i've got the greatest thing in the world money and i'll keep it i hate you all every one of you but i'll make you cringe to me i'll make you all cringe do you hear because i've got the money you're ready to sell your paltry souls for oh i'll make you cringe most of all billy woods i'm rich do you hear rich rich wouldn't you be glad to marry the rich margaret hugonin billy ah haven't you schemed hard for that you'd be glad to do it wouldn't you you'd give your dirty little soul for that wouldn't you billy ah what a cur you are well some day perhaps i'll buy you just as i would any other cur wouldn't you be glad if i did billy beg for it billy beg sir beg and margaret flung back her head again and laughed shrilly and held up her hand before him as one holds a lump of sugar before a pug dog in selwood i can fancy how the eagle screamed his triumph but billy's face was ashen before god he said between his teeth loving you as i do i wouldn't marry you now for all the wealth in the world the money has ruined you ruined you peggy for a little she stared at him by and by i dare say it has she said in a strangely sober tone i've been scolding like a fishwife i beg your pardon mr woods not for what i've said because i meant every word of it but i beg your pardon for saying it don't come with me please blindly she turned from him her shoulders had the droop of an old woman's margaret was wearied now weary with the weariness of death for a while mr woods stared after the tired little figure that trudged straight onward in the sunlight stumbling as she went then a pleached walk swallowed her and mr woods groaned oh peggy peggy he said in bottomless compassion oh my poor little peggy how changed you are afterward mr woods sank down upon the bench and buried his face in his hands. He sat there for a long time. I don't believe he thought of anything very clearly. His mind was a turgid chaos of misery, and about him the birds shrilled and quavered and caroled till the air was vibrant with their trilling. One might have thought they quired in honor of the eagle's triumph, in mockery of poor Billy. Then Mr. Woods raised his head with a queer, alert look. Surely he had heard a voice. The dearest of all voices. Billy! It wailed, Oh, Billy, Billy! End of chapter twenty four.